If you're like me, this time of year, life is just so busy. There's a lot going on every day. There's constant noise, social media buzz, work, traffic, never-ending bills, holiday shopping, parties, school events. It sometimes seems like it will never let up. And going to Mass was something that just fell by the wayside. But what if this holiday season, we decided to make a change? What if we went home to Mass just like we go home for celebrations? What if we took just one hour out of our busy lives to intentionally create the space for peace, for God to work in our hearts and to feel his presence during this most joyous time of year? Just one short hour a week turns into over 52 hours of peace a year. How much calmer would your life be? How much more fulfilled would it be? During this season of Advent, the beginning of a new liturgical year, the Diocese of Harrisburg invites you to come home to your church and celebrate the Mass with us. Feel the energy and the love of Christ and carry it with you throughout your busy season of life. Even if it's been a while, no one belongs here more than you. So join us on Sunday, and on behalf of the Diocese of Harrisburg, have a very Merry Christmas. Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Troche, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. Today is the first day of Advent, the first day of the liturgical year at the end of the calendar year, oddly enough, the first season of the liturgical year, and it's all about joyful anticipation. In my research, I actually learned that the word Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Anticipation and waiting are two words I sometimes have a hard time with. In a society built on instant gratification, waiting is not easy. In fact, my kids have this great book by Mo Willems called Waiting is Not Easy. It's about this pair of friends, Gerald, who's an elephant, and Piggy, who, well, she's a pig. Piggy has a surprise for Gerald, but to get it, Gerald has to wait. And wait. And wait some more. And throughout the book, he groans about how he can't take it anymore. He needs to know what the surprise is, and he needs to know now. But Piggy insists that he wait. So he does, begrudgingly. It starts getting dark, and Gerald complains that they've missed the surprise because it's now dark, and why did they have to wait so long when, spoiler alert, Piggy looks up to the sky and shows Gerald the incredible night sky. 
Gerald says, yeah, that was worth the wait. In a lot of ways, I can see myself in the role of Gerald. I spend many of my waiting seasons bored and uninterested, just begging God to give me a hint of what his plan is instead of actively waiting. I think about this book a lot when it comes to Advent and Christmas. Advent is a season of waiting, and God does some of his best work in our waiting seasons. Advent allows us to dive into a season of trust with God, of allowing him to work in and through us, just like he did with Mary. Speaking of Mary, let's talk about the queen for a minute. Mary's yes is the absolute best response the world has ever seen. Why? Because even though the angel Gabriel came to her and told her what her role would be in saving the world, she still had a choice. And God didn't try to sell her on it either. He simply sent his angel to ask her, and she could have said no. She was not yet wed to Joseph. She was very young. She was very simple and very ordinary. She could have said no, but she didn't. Why? Because she knew the voice of God. She recognized him when he called her because she prayed. She was deeply devout. And when he asked, not pressured, not pushed, she said yes. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Again, at this time, she wasn't royalty or anyone super important in her region. She was a simple, ordinary teenage girl in love with a boy and was excited to get married. And God said, I have bigger plans for you. It's a reminder to us that God regularly reaches into the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. Advent and Mary go hand in hand. In fact, during December alone, we celebrate her twice. Once at the Immaculate Conception on December 8th, commemorating her traditional conception without the stain of original sin, and again on December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, when she appeared to Blessed Juan Diego in Mexico as the pregnant mother. Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. We're preparing not only for the first coming of Christ as a child in a manger, we're preparing for his second coming as well, because at some point during our lifetime, Christ is coming again. Whether it's at the end of the world or at the end of our lives, he's coming again. If you've ever given birth or known someone who has, you're probably familiar with the term nesting. For me, it happened when I was in the home stretch of each of my pregnancies, where I needed to do all the things to get ready for the baby. With my oldest, we had just moved into our house, and I spent an entire day while my husband was working building all the baby furniture, washing all the onesies, and putting everything in its picture-perfect place. That room was the only one finished in our house for months. By the end of my third pregnancy, I was rearranging cabinets and spent days on a mission making sure every Tupperware lid 
had its matching bottom because what if the baby suddenly wants some matching Tupperware? You get the picture. What if this year we approached Advent as a season of nesting? Not necessarily doing all the things, but as a way of preparing our hearts, a nesting of faith, if you will. If you're looking for some ways to restart, refresh, and reframe your commitment to Jesus this year, I've pulled together some ideas for you to nest in your faith and celebrate Christmas with a renewed heart and spirit. Advent calendars are a great way to build anticipation. There are so many great Advent calendars out there. My favorites are the ones with chocolates in them. It's like a little reward for your waiting. My kids are getting Lego Advent calendars this year because they for sure don't need any more chocolate in their lives. But it's something to look forward to with excitement while physically checking off the days and building anticipation for Christmas. Jesse trees are also very popular, and if you haven't tried one yet, here's how it works. Each day of Advent, you read a Bible story about someone on Jesus' family tree, and you hang an ornament symbolizing the story on your Jesse tree. As you decorate your tree, you'll see how God prepared for Jesus' birth through many generations. There are so many different ways to do this, and they're all pretty amazing. I especially like the felt ones because I have little kids, but you could do this with an actual little tree, or you can print out pictures of the ornaments and build one with a branch from the backyard and some construction paper. The journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem is super fun for families with little children who aren't super keen on the elf trend. Here's how it works. Set up a nativity scene, and each night, the figures of Mary and Joseph move throughout the house on their way to Bethlehem. On Christmas Eve, they make it to the stable, and Christmas morning, baby Jesus is in the manger. How cute is that? Advent rate lighting is a classic, and one we used to do as a family when I was a kid. And it can be as simple or as complex as you would like. Many churches sell fresh Advent wreaths, or you can visit your local craft store. You'll need a metal floral wreath, three purple candles, one pink or rose gold candle, one white candle, and some evergreen boughs. You can weave the boughs through the frame. There's really no right or wrong way to do it. Just make sure you secure them in place with some hot glue and place your candles. Just like in church, each week, you will light a candle, leaving the pink or rose gold candle for the third week of Advent and the white candle for Christmas Day, signifying Christ as the light of the world. I'm pretty sure my mom uses the same one we made years ago, so after your first year, you'll really only need to buy candles again if they're all spent. Many churches sponsor a family in need during the holidays and will place their wishes on an angel tree. After Mass, you can visit the vestibule and choose one or several ornaments off the tree and purchase the items listed. Then bring the items and the ornaments back to the church the following week. This is great if you're going to be doing some shopping for your own gift giving on Christmas or if you're out running errands. Just add them to your list. Since we're talking about nesting and pregnancy, I think this might be my favorite idea yet. I was listening to a podcast where they talked about throwing a baby shower for Mary. And initially I thought, this is cute, but a little strange. 
until they mentioned how it doubled as a fundraiser for their local pregnancy center. Diapers, wipes, formulas, onesies, you name it, they brought it. Anything to celebrate the birth of a baby and a new mom. What a great way to honor Mary and to serve others. Those are just some ideas, and again, there's no pressure to do all of them. Remember, it's not about doing more. It's about doing less so we can say yes more to Jesus. That's something we haven't talked a lot about, to be honest. If Jesus were to show up, would you be ready? Seriously, if he showed up on Christmas Day, would there be any room on your calendar for him? Many people, myself very much included, would say, no, we're not ready. We still have work and class and all these dinner parties and we have to get the decorations out and bake the cookies. And oh my gosh, I haven't even started shopping yet and the cards. But there's no rule that says you have to do any of that. There's no rule that you have to start decorating for Christmas after Thanksgiving or that you have to listen to Christmas music all day, every day during Advent. There's no rule that says you have to accept every invite to every Christmas party you receive this year. Advent is not about the Christmas cards or the parties or the dinners. That's all well and good, and there's no rule that says you can't do any of that. But if it's not serving you, if it's stressing you out and not preparing your heart for the coming of Jesus, then why are you doing it? On the other hand, if you need that exterior display as a way to remind you to not just prepare your home, but also to prepare your heart, then you do you. There are really no wrong answers here. The goal of Advent is to quiet our hearts and our souls to make room for Jesus. Advent is not a season designed to stress you out. So don't listen to any of that list that I just gave you and think, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind. Don't do that. Just take what you need and use it well. From all of us here at the diocese, I hope you have a very Merry Advent. And now here's a special message from Bishop Ronald Gaynor about the history of Advent. Shortly after we celebrate Thanksgiving, the fall decorations will come down and we will turn our attention to Christmas. In the weeks leading up to Christmas and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate the season of Advent. So let's take a look at the meaning of this new liturgical year and the first season of the church year known as Advent. The word itself comes from a Latin word, Adventus, uh, that means uh, a coming or approach. And the season itself is divided into two sections, both of them about a coming or an approach, an advent. The very first part and the longest part, really, of the season is about the coming of our Lord at the end of time, uh, the approach that Jesus will make at the end of human history when he returns in majesty and glory to establish the Father's reign over the new creation. And so the very first part of Advent recalls the second coming of Christ, his approach at the end of time. Beginning on December the 17th, the, the last seven or eight days, of, uh, seven days of the Advent season, we have a, a different um, 
emphasis or theme in those final days of Advent, and that is the approach or the coming of the incarnate Son of God at Bethlehem, our Lord's birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, at Bethlehem. And so the final part of Advent is our immediate preparation for the celebration of Christmas. One of the distinctive things about that second part of Advent are what are called the O Antiphons. Those texts are familiar to us from the, I guess, what is maybe our favorite or certainly most familiar Advent hymn, and that is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And those various verses are really very ancient. They come from the 8th or the 9th century, uh, monastic uh, chants, a plain chant, that were sung before and after the Magnificat in the monasteries, um, during these latter days of Advent. And they come down to us most familiarly now in that, in that favorite Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But they began in the 8th or 9th century as the antiphons before and after the Magnificat in Vespers that were sung by the monks. And those are one of the features uh, during the later days of the Advent season. So, O Wisdom. O Adonai, O Key of David, all beautiful Old Testament images and titles that can be applied to Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, as we prepare for his coming, his birth uh, at Bethlehem. So those are the two facets, the two uh, parts, you might say, of the whole uh, Advent season, both of them preparing for the approach or the coming of our Lord. One of the traditional and I think wonderful symbols of the Advent season is the Advent wreath. Uh, We see them in church. um, And what I really like about it, though, is that it is a devotion that can be right in our own homes on our family tables. And the family can gather uh, each Advent day, uh, say a prayer, maybe sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or another appropriate Advent hymn, and, and count the days before the celebration of Christmas as a family, a family of believers. So we do it in our churches, but we can also have this devotion in our homes. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the family to pray together and prepare together for the celebration of our Lord's birth. It, the wreath is, is very symbolic. It, it's a circle that reminds us of the endlessness of uh, the, the kingdom of God uh, the, without, and, and of Jesus who's coming without beginning or without end, the circle of the wreath. The, the evergreens um, remind us uh, of, of life, something that's very much alive, and, and the Christ who came to us to bring us new life. And typically, there are four candles on the Advent wreath. Uh, There are three purple candles and one rose-colored or pink-colored candle. Um, Purple is the color, the liturgical color of Advent. We know that those are the the, the colors you'll see in the sanctuary, uh, on the altar perhaps, or in decorations. Also, the vestments of the priest and the deacon. The purple of Advent is different than the purple of Lent, the Lenten purple is a reminder of penance, uh, sorrow uh, for our sins. The the purple of Advent is to remind us of that purple that we sometimes see in the sky 
uh, at the sunrise. Just before the sun rises, the sky turns purple. That, that's meant to be the advent purple, one of anticipation, uh, one of waiting and longing. And so it's not so much penitential as it is a color to remind us of our longing for the coming of Christ. The one rose candle or the pink candle is uh, lit on the third Sunday of the Advent season, which is a Sunday of joy, the, the uh, antiphon that uh, begins the liturgy is about rejoicing because we're getting nearer to the celebration of Christmas. And so pink or rose is the color of joy. And that's the third candle that is uh, lit uh, on the Sunday of joy or Gaudete as it is known in Latin, the Sunday of Gaudete, the third Sunday of Advent. But the Advent wreath in and of itself is a wonderful way of marking the progress of time as we get closer and closer to the celebration of Christmas. You'll notice too, uh, uh, something different about the masses during the Advent season, and that is that the Gloria, the glory to God in the highest is omitted, um, except on a solemnity, December the 8th, it will be sung. But in general, in Advent masses, even on Sundays in Advent, we don't sing the glory to God. The reason is, remember where the, the beginning of that beautiful hymn that we sing very often uh, at Mass, uh, we find it in the second chapter of Luke, uh, verse 14. And Luke tells us there that after the shepherds received the message from the angels, there was a whole multitude, a host of heavenly angels who sing out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill. So this is the song of the angels at the birth of Christ. And so we kind of fast from singing that, the glory to God in the highest, the Gloria at mass during Advent so that it can ring out in a fresh way, uh, in a new way when we sing it at uh, Christmas. So it'll be the first that we'll sing it uh, at the celebrations of our Lord's nativity because it's the song of the heavenly host as they proclaimed the glory of God at the nativity of our Savior at Bethlehem. Another figure that's so prominent is, of course, Santa Claus. And it's good for us to remember that, that the figure of Santa Claus, and it's a complex history, uh, but that there is a historical foundation and it is the person of a bishop from Asia Minor um, in the fourth century, who was the Bishop Nicholas, Nicholas of Mira in present day Turkey. Um, he, he was born somewhere around 260. Uh, that we don't have great specific details uh, about his, his life, um, but born about the year 260, um, he, he became a bishop and uh, he attended and participated as, as, a, as a good leader uh, at the Council of Nicaea. That council was called in the year 325 uh, because of a, a very insidious heresy known as Arianism, um, which made Jesus subordinate to the Father. It, it denied the full divinity of Jesus Christ. And the Council Fathers gathered to straighten out, to be able to speak clearly and accurately 
uh, about Jesus being true God and true man. And Arius denied that. Arius himself was at the Council of Nicaea. And there are accounts that St. Nicholas got so passionate about the truth of the incarnation that he actually punched the heretic Arius. That seems to be uh, at least an indication of how strong and faithful the Bishop Nicholas was and a leader at the Council of Nicaea. Another part of his story is that Nicholas um, took delight in secret gift giving. Um, there were legends about women who, young, young women who were of marriageable age, but didn't have a, money for a dowry, they were too poor, and that he might throw a, a small bag of coins, gold coins or something valuable, in, into their home, and it would allow those young women to have the dowry to marry. But no one knew that it was Bishop Nicholas who was doing this. So he, he had this delight in secret gift giving. And, and so that trait of the Bishop of Mira uh, became something of the foundation as time goes on for the figure of Santa Claus. St. Nicholas is, you could just think of how Santa Claus can morph, as it were, from the, the words St. Nicholas. Or, um, it's it just a, a, like a phonic change to get that word or the name of, of Santa Claus. Um, but a wonderful figure of the fourth century church and someone who played a key role in um, the uh, Council of Nicaea. Uh, by tradition, he died on December the 6th in the year 343, um, not too long, 20 years or so after the Council of Nicaea. And that's his feast day. Every, every year we celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Mira, on December the 6th. And many different nationalities have customs about giving a gift uh, on the Feast of St. Nicholas uh, in preparation for the bigger gift giving that comes at Christmas when we celebrate the greatest gift of all, the incarnate Son of God born among us. I thank you for joining me, and until next time, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.